<clears throat> you know, we are so uh, blessed and so honored to have some guests visiting with us in worship this morning. Uh, truly, uh, we are grateful for your giving your time. And we pray now your worship to our risen, reigning, and returning Lord and Savior Jesus. Today actually isn't too different than most Sundays here at Connections. Yeah, we had an Easter egg hunt, but to be honest, we have coffee and donuts and good treats for the kids every single Sunday. Uh, we always worship here in this space. We always fellowship together. The, really, the most special thing about today, because every Sunday when we gather, we do celebrate his resurrection, uh, we do have the joy of celebrating some baptisms today. And so uh, you're going to be blessed. And, and as we kind of go through the message and we uh, look towards that baptism, uh, I, I pray that, you know, this really isn't just something that you observe kind of from the outside, but that you allow yourself uh, to experience uh, and to consider your own standing with Jesus Christ and what this sacrament, what going through baptism means and how it will symbolize uh, laying down our lives to Jesus Christ, receiving the washing away of our sins and rising to a new life in him. And we do that because, of course, he is risen. Amen, friends? Oh, he is risen indeed. Oh, we're going to have some fun with it. If you've actually been here in the past, you know this is the sermon I preach every year at Easter. We do preach he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, friends. You're going to say it a lot right now. So <clears throat> clear those throats, get ready. We are going to celebrate that he is risen because that is why we are here today. We don't gather just to be religious. We don't gather just for a ritual. We don't gather just to go through the motions. We gather today because he is risen. He is risen. Oh, yes. And when I say we gather, let's just take pause to consider that we means you and it means me, but it also means literally millions around the world celebrating Easter this day. And it points us back to 2,000 years of celebration. And it points forward until he comes again that he is risen. Now, preacher gonna come in hot right now. We're just gonna not waste any time. I'm telling you, these three words change everything. Three words, and we know that the lost are found. These three words, and the prisoners are unbound. Three words, and the slave is set free. Three words that can change you and me. Three words, and we know that the captives are let out. We know three words, and angels will shout. We know these three words, and all of death has been undone. We know with these three words, eternal life for us is one. We know with three words that the promises of the Old Testament have all been fulfilled. We know with three words that the new covenant is forever sealed. We know with three words that that stone rolled away. We know that three words on that glorious day mean that he is risen. Hallelujah and amen. And when I say he is risen, this isn't just a metaphor. It wasn't his memory that was risen. It wasn't just his message that it was risen. It wasn't just this idea that was risen. It was his body that rose from the grave his dead body back to life. No, not just back to life, his dead body resurrected to a new kind of life and a new kind of life that we are invited to step 
into, resurrected into a new life. His dead body breathing, his eyes seeing, his ears hearing, his mouth tasting, his nose smelling, his, his skin feeling, his synapses firing, coursing through his veins, life like never before, a resurrection life. Now, if you've celebrated Easter before, maybe you want to kick it old school. If you've never celebrated Easter before, we're going to go through an entire worship service. And I think you already know your part. Can you guess what your part is? He is risen. Amen. That's right. So this morning, as we gather on Easter, what is our reason to come to worship? Okay, just get, just get going ready because that's gonna be your part over and over again. What's our call to worship? What is our reason to confess our sins? How do we know we have the assurance of forgiveness? Do you wanna confess your faith together? Three words. All right, I got one person really excited here in the front. You, you, you know, we are, you're allowed to have fun in worship. How often do I say that? Hey, guess what? We're gonna do a scripture recitation here right now. And I think you already have it memorized. It is actually found in Matthew 28, verse six, in Mark 16, verse six, in Luke 24, verse six, in John chapter 20, verse nine, in Romans chapter six, verse four, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, I think you already have it memorized. You need a reason to go out into the world in mission? Okay, enough. I've, t I've strung you along long enough. Yes, I, if I've not made the point abundantly clear, we are here because he is risen. And a lot of us have been preparing for this for the last 40 days. Anybody celebrate Lent the past 40 days? I celebrated Lent the past 40 days. I love fasting. I really do. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm the only one. No, Mike always likes fasting in the back there. I love fasting. I love setting aside time for a special season. I love times for prayer. I love times for going deeper into God's word. I love time to examine my life. There's a lot of benefit for us just to quietly examine our lives. I love the season of Lent. But you know what I love even better? the season of resurrection. That's what we're in now. Following Lent, we step into the season of Easter, the season of celebration, the season of resurrection. And guess what? Lent is 40 days. And this is gonna be a quiz for anybody who grew up in like a really old school church. How long is the season of Easter tide? 50 days, friends. That's the great thing about our faith. We fast for 40 days, but we party longer. We party for the next 50 days. Actually, we party all the way to up to Easter again. We celebrate the resurrection. We can do nothing less. We can do nothing else. We have to celebrate that he is risen. And in his resurrection, we are invited to a new way of living. And I want you to experience this new way of living in Jesus Christ, friends. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a preacher. That's why I minister. That's why we do what we do here at the church. We do it because Jesus Christ brings new life. And with that new life, oh, my friends, it is so good. It is so good. I'm gonna read God's word for you this morning. We're gonna turn to the gospel of John. I'm gonna ask my team in the back to help me out because my phone never works and it distracts me. So John chapter 20, we're gonna read verse one. And then we're going to go into verses 11 through 18. And because we have just said he is risen so many times, 
And because we've been kind of kicking it old school for fun a little bit here, in the old days, in order to honor God's word and to give our full attention to the truth that has been revealed to us, people stood for the reading of God's word. So if you would, do God the honor, not me, do God the honor of standing for the reading of his word, if you are able. If not, certainly we understand. But this is God's word for us this day. John chapter 20, verse one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Picking up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, if I can preach for just a minute. That's the one word sermon we all want to hear. And that's the one word sermon I'm praying you're going to all hear this morning. Not Mary, but Chris, Karis, Justin, Jerry. Barbara, David, I, I, I can't go through everybody. Hear Jesus speaking your name this morning. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen, friends. You can be seated. This is God's word for us this morning. You know, she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. I think I just realized that this year for the first time, that she wasn't wrong. G Mary turned and thought Jesus was the gardener, and she wasn't wrong. I want you to think about this this morning. Stick with me on this. Jesus has been pointing to the fact that he is the gardener, he is the vine, he is the one planting a seed of new life and faith in the world and in our lives. She wasn't totally off base when she thought Jesus was the gardener. In fact, if we look at the Bible, the Bible really is a story between two ferns. Anybody get that reference there? That's a, that's a, you know what I'm talking about, it's a great show. It's between two ferns, between two gardens, between these two gardens, we have the whole of God's revelation spelled out for us. The revelation of God's word begins in the garden, the garden of Eden. And it's a great story. And I don't want you to miss the garden for all of the beauty of what it is teaching us because it is teaching us that we men and women are made in the very image of God and made to have a relationship with him. 
We were made to walk with God, to be with God now and forever. We were made to be in a connection with God, be in a connection with one another as image bearers. We were made to be in a connection with the creation itself, living in perfect harmony. We were made to be connected to ourselves in a way that we just don't seem to experience anymore. This is the garden that we were made for. The story is fascinating. I encourage you to read it on your own. In the first chapter, we just have this whole sweep of creation. God made the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea and the sky. He made the birds and the fish and the plants and the animals. And then he made you and me. He made men and women in his image. Then God slows it down a little bit in chapter 2. And he talks about this relationship that we were made to have with God in the garden. And our first role, our first job was to be stewards, to be gardeners for all that God was entrusting to our care. The third chapter is the chapter maybe we don't like, but it's the chapter that we need because it's the chapter that maybe more than anything else makes sense of our experience in life. If it wasn't for that third chapter, we'd know that the Bible is all just a fantasy, but the fact that it points out to the reality that we live in makes it all the more credible because it points to this reality that, yeah, we seem to live in this place that Call it what you want, it just, in a certain sense, seems fallen, tipped over, not what it was supposed to be. Some call it the fall, some call it sin, whatever names you want to put on it. It's the world we experience. It's the world we experience where things just aren't the way they were supposed to be. And we have this internal longing for that world. The sciences all explore, in a sense, the dysfunctions of our lives in the world. But I love how the Bible just makes it so abundantly clear. You just don't live in the world you were made for. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said that if I find in my life or in this world certain longings that nothing in my life or in this world seems to satisfy, the only logical, the only rational explanation is that I was made for a different world. See, we know that we were made for a world where we would live in what the Bible calls a perfect shalom, a perfect peace, a perfect order, perfect relationships with God, with one another, with the creation itself, with our own selves, and yet we seem so somehow deeply disconnected for it. What the Bible is beautifully pointing to us is to say, if you have felt that there are problems in your life, there are problems in this world, and it just doesn't seem right, if you look out and you see war being ravaged and lands across our globe and something in you just wants to cry out against it, you're not the crazy one. You're the one seeing things exactly how they are. That's the first garden. The Bible actually then frames it with a garden at the end. The Bible speaks about this time whenever the garden will be restored, but it's not so much just a garden. It's kind of like a, a city garden, a green city. It's like one of these futuristic cities we see in these movies where somehow human development and creation and nature itself live in this perfect harmony. That's the image we see in Revelation 21 and 22. We get this story that it's not so much that we as the image bearers of God get spirited away to some great by and by, 
but that Jesus Christ returns and he brings heaven, he brings his kingdom, he brings the new heavens and the earth colliding together in a new kind of creation. And in that creation, we see that there is this throne, again, this kind of this human thing, but then we see this river, this kind of nature thing. And from that river, we flows down through the city and on either side of that river is this tree of life, the tree that we were barred from, banished from, that was removed from our grasp in the Garden of Eden is restored. And again, the image is that we again enjoy the eternal life, the shalom, the garden, the city, what we were made for. But here we are between two gardens. And between those two gardens, we have another garden story. We have the story of this garden that Jesus walks us through at Easter. It's been said it, uh, by other preachers many times in many ways that in the first garden, we know that Edom, uh, that Adam fell, but that Jesus stood tall. In that first garden, we know that Adam stole from the fruit, but in the second garden, Jesus gives us the fruit of eternal life. We know that in that first garden, that, uh, that, that sin entered the world, but in the second garden, grace comes crashing through by the work of Jesus Christ. This has actually been the imagery of the garden that Easter has been pointing us towards. Jesus is in a sense bridging the two gardens for us. He's reaching back to that garden of Eden and he is fixing the wrong. He is setting things to right and he's holding our hands and walking us to his promised return. And in between, we take faith, we take hope, we take encouragement, we take new life in this promise that is talked about in the Easter story. In John chapter 12, what comes right before the events of this past Easter week, we read this. I'm just gonna read you a couple of verses. They're not gonna be on the screen. I don't want you to miss the main point of them. In John chapter 12, verse 23, we read that Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a man is buried, that's actually not what it says. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then a little bit later, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he again leans into this garden imagery when he said to them in chapter 15, verses one, I'm gonna pick up at five, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And then he says, I am the true vine and you, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So maybe what we could begin to shout here on Easter morning isn't just that he is risen. Maybe we can start to shout, he is planted. He is planted indeed. Jesus had been pointing out to this planting all along. And there's a big difference between a burial and a planting. Now on the surface, it looks very much the same, right? You take something, you dig a hole, you put it in the ground, you cover it up. But when you plant something, you have eager expectation that new life is going to rise up. The story actually continues. Then after Jesus celebrated his last supper with his disciples, he walked through the Kidron Valley. It was a vineyard 
And then he gets to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we learn, we see so clearly that what is about to happen is all part of the plan of God for our salvation. This wasn't something that was happening to Jesus, but something more that Jesus was allowing, was inviting, was experiencing for our behalf. He allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be handed over. He allowed himself to be put on trial. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed himself to die so that he could be planted. And then we read right after his death on that cross from Good Friday, we read that two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and a guy named Nicodemus, it says that where Jesus was crucified was a garden was a garden and they took his body and they put it in a new tomb that had never been used before in that garden. And then of course, on that Easter morning, we know that new life broke forth from that grave. He hadn't been buried at all. He had been planted all along because he wanted to plant in himself. He wanted to plant in the creation. He wanted to plant in us the possibility of a new life rising up I read an article this past week and it was amazing. It was like the most Christian news article I had ever heard. But the crazy thing about it is I don't think they made the connection at all that it was the most Christian article that was gonna be published this past week. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Only preachers notice these weird things. <laughs> this is an article published in The Guardian this past week and the title of it was A Plant Resurrected. You see, more than 40 years ago in Ecuador, in order to provide food for the people, which you can't blame them for, it has to be done. But what they did in that process was they over eagerly, so to speak, deforested so much of the beautiful land of Ecuador and they began to plant crops so people could eat well and good. But of course, in that process, they know that they had actually eradicated countless, countless species of plants and flowers and trees of other kinds of vegetation. And there's this one kind that was particularly bountiful in a region, but it didn't appear anymore after they clear cut the forest. And they named that plant Gasteranthus extinctus. Let me say that for you again, because I'm not a botanist or a horticulturist, but I think I'm getting it right. Gastroanthus extinctus. What do you think that last Latin word means? <laughs> it is extinct. They thought it was extinct, dead, buried, never to be seen again. Friends, I'm telling you that if we want to kick back to the old Latin, we could have called him Christus Extinctus on Good Friday. He was dead. He was dead. He was dead. And they buried him into the ground but they turned out that he had been planted all along because Christus victorious, Christus alivus, Christus resurrectus. <laughs> I'm making words up, by the way, that's not real Latin. He was alive. And this Easter, I wanna invite you to experience new life, 
resurrection from extinction for each and every one of us. Oh, my people, he can do a work of new life and resurrection in each and every man, woman, and child who comes to him. Who grew up in one of those science classes where you took a seed and you put it in that tiny little slender glass box? Do you remember that one? You took a seed and you put it in that little glass box so the seed was pushed right up against the glass. Am I the only one? Is this, re is this resonating with anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you put it in that soil and you watered it and you watched it for the first day and nothing seemed to happen. And you watch it for the second day and nothing seemed to happen. You watch, it seemed like an eternity for a kid because a day is like a million years when you're a kid, right? But then all of a sudden one day you walked into class and you went over to that box and you looked at it and oh, that seed started to crack. And the next day, those roots started to shoot downwards. And after a couple days, what happened? A flower, a plant, it was always a bean for some reason. It was always a bean started to emerge from that plant because it was resurrecting. It was coming back to new life. Oh, my people, I pray that right now, whatever maybe is felt dead in you this past season, this past, maybe these past two years. My goodness, if ever there has been a season that has felt like death and extinction, it has been the past two years of pandemic and war and infighting in our nation and around the world. If there has ever been a season of extinction, I think it has been our past two years. But my friends, I want us to have hope. I want us to have faith. I want us to pray for a coming season of resurrection. Can I get an amen on that, friends? He can bring resurrection to a relationship. He can bring resurrection to a dream that you had. He can bring resurrection to friendship. He can bring resurrection in your family. He can bring resurrection to your job. He's brought resurrection in the health of people that we prayed for. He still brings forth resurrection from extinction, my people. And so I want to invite our team to come up and to lead us in some worship again. And we are about to plant five seeds. Yes, we are about to plant five seeds. We're going to plant Amanda, and we're going to plant Grace. We're going to plant Victor. We're going to plant Evie. We are going to plant Kal-El. We're going to plant them, but guess what? They are not going to stay buried. They are going to grow. They're going to be grow in their faith. They're going to be grow as brothers and sisters. They're going to grow into this thing we call the body of Christ, and you can be a part of it too. I wanna say a prayer for me, a prayer for you, a prayer for all of us. Maybe you've prayed a prayer like this a hundred times before. Good, keep praying it. <laughs> Pray it every morning of your life. Pray it every night before you lay your head to sleep. But if you've never prayed it before, this can be a prayer where you invite resurrection from the extinction that haunts all of us. Resurrection in your life, resurrection in your soul, resurrection. In who? Jesus Christ, the risen one. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this Easter Sunday when we gather to celebrate that your son is risen. He is risen to new life. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that resurrection life might enter each and every one of us. We accept the gift of your salvation. We ask for the forgiveness of sins and we commit our lives now and forever to you, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Let's worship, friends. And as we do, I want my team to get ready for the baptisms that are about to happen. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. 
You're the 